Welcome, everyone, to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz. I want to welcome all of our viewers from around the world. And my apologies for not being able to come on the air last night. But trust me, I did you guys a favor. It would have been an absolute disaster. <laughs> the way I was feeling yesterday, I'm feeling a little, well, not 100%, but a lot better than I did yesterday. And I missed it. I missed uh, coming on here and talking to you guys. But in the end, I had to make a decision, and I think it was for the best, uh, looking back on it. So I'm glad to be back tonight, glad to talk to all of you. You guys are my family. Get to spend every evening or every morning, depending on where you guys are located. Thank you so much uh, for coming in. And I want to say thank you for all the well wishes you guys sent me uh, on all the social media platforms. I really, really appreciate it. And uh just thank you so much for doing that. I want to welcome uh, some of our viewers. Of course, we have our moderators, uh, Khaleesi, Singerchick, Saz is also moderating. On the Instagram side, we have good old Marie, you know, poor Marie. She's the only one who can uh, who's moderating on the Instagram side, but she does an amazing job every night. So we want to, you know, give a lot of love out to Marie and everything she has to do and does it well and does it uh even on the even in the airport on her way home from vacation as she did the other day so we just want marie to know that she is very much appreciated for all the hard work that she does want to welcome cc wheezy on youtube who's also joining us and is a regular how you doing cc in fact cc uh i have a request for you uh, I would like you to email me after tonight's show. Uh, there's something I want to talk to you about. So my email is viz at deadtalklive.com. Shoot me an email or message me on any of the social media platforms. There's something I want to talk to you about. And, you know, I think it's a great idea. Want to welcome Colette and Philip, who are joining us on Facebook. Lindsay, of course, our regular from Canada, is also with us on Facebook tonight as well. Uh, let's see, of course, Marie, 30 Minder is here, 30 Minier is here with us on Instagram. Uh, Abdidi is also joining us, Inaki. Uh, I swear, man, the Instagram names are the hardest to pronounce. There's so many Instagram users. I know it's very hard to come up with a catchy, unique name, but I do my best. I know I butcher a lot of your guys' usernames on Instagram, and my apologies for that. I do the best that I can. Welcome to Jennifer and John Wesley. We haven't seen you in a while. It's good to see you guys back. Jennifer and John Wesley on Facebook are joining us. Welcome to you guys. So, uh, what do you guys think of the scruff, huh? I told you I didn't shave this past weekend. I just did not feel up to it. So, uh, you know, you know, wait till Saturday because I am going to shave on Sunday, but it, it's coming in. It's coming in. It's coming in. This is the rough and scruff viz look. Uh, and trust me, this is nothing to how much I've let this thing grown out in the past. Anyway, let's get started uh, tonight. I am energetic tonight. I'm ready to discuss some news. And tonight, we are going to be touching on the topic of horror movies uh, set in the woods. God knows there's been a lot of those. And we're going to be going over them. Uh, not all of them, obviously, but a few of them. 
and uh, see if you guys enjoy them or not. In fact, let me take this down. Personally, for me, I grew up in the urban jungle of New York City, okay? Uh, there are a lot of people, and this is just me. I want to make that very clear. The appeal of camping, I've never felt it. I've never had the urge to even try it. Like I said, I grew up in the urban jungle of New York City. The idea of going into the woods and sleeping on the bare ground in a tent just doesn't appeal to me. But that's just me, you know? That's just my personal preference. Uh, I know there are a lot of people who love to go camping, and I'm sure it's a wonderful experience. It's just I have no appeal to do it. I never did it growing up, and I'm in my 40s now. I have no desire to do it now. But anyway, moving on, uh, of course, the woods. What is more terrifying than being in the middle of the woods, especially after the sun goes down, and you're in your tent, God knows, for all you guys that have gone out camping, I've never experienced it, but I can only imagine nature's sounds, and that would just freak me out, all right? It would freak me out. I remember when I left New York City at the age of 23 and coming to what I consider a pretty suburban area, but it's, you know... To the people that live here, it's pretty populated. But for me, it's very suburban. And I would saw all these creatures. I grew up with, you know, the two biggest creatures that I grew up with were A, cockroaches, and B, some pretty good-sized rats up in New York City. So here I am. I come to, you know, a very rural area in my point of view, northern virginia and i get to see these weird critters i saw an opossum i remember the first time i saw a possum and i went to work the next day and i'm like guys i saw this huge albino rat outside of my apartment i was living in an apartment at the time and they all laughed at me because they said you idiot that's not a rat it's a possum uh there are skunks that roam my neighborhood and every now and again, you will see a deer that uh, has lost its way and is trying its way to it's trying to find its way back home, roaming my neighborhood. You know, I've gotten kind of used to it now, but man, did it freak the shit out of me when I first moved down here? Uh, let's see. Uh, CC Weezy writes, "I agree with the camping not appealing." Uh, Lindsay Sparks also writes, I don't like camping. I grew up in the country. All right. All right. I'm glad it's not just our, you know, just us city people who, uh, you know, don't want to experience camping. A lot of people, uh, what it seems to be is either you love it or you hate it or you've never tried it. Uh, I probably fall in the, I know I fall in the I've never tried it category, and I don't think I'm going to particularly like it. Uh, I've learned never to say never. There might come a time where I do go camping, and if I do, who knows? It, 
I'm I consider myself to be a pretty open-minded person and if that day comes and I do end up in the woods who knows I might even enjoy it I'm not going to close myself off to it welcome to Misty Lowry on Facebook saying hi everyone I can't wait for the new one to be on Netflix hope soon which new one are you talking Walking Dead has the Walking Dead season 10 has not gone on Netflix yet am I correct uh, I don't know what the holdup is. I really don't. Uh, it's probably some issue between AMC and Netflix that's causing the delay. I know there are people all around the world who have yet to see season 10 of The Walking Dead. And the only way they have to watch it is through Netflix. And I have no idea. I wish I had some news to share with you guys. There was an article that we read over the summer that said it was supposed to be released this last October on Netflix. October came and went, and that never happened. And uh, Lindsay writes, uh, yep, there is no season 10 on Netflix. So, I, and, and people have, quite honestly, I used to get messaged like crazy every single day, and those messages have subsided. I think people have given up. They have given up. Uh, who knows when it's going to happen? Who knows if even AMC or Netflix knows when it's going to happen? Uh, hey, Ethan is with us. Ethan, Hard Productions is on the live tonight. Ethan is a part of our team. Good to have you with us, Ethan. Uh, so let's get on to the news, all right? There's actually some interesting stuff out there. And we're going to get started with... Fear the Walking Dead. As we've discussed, the second half of season six is going to start. It's going to premiere on April 11th. So it's still a ways away. It's going to come probably, it's going to come the week after uh, the six bonus episodes of The Walking Dead. And the very next week, we are going to get the season six part B premiere of Fear the Walking Dead. So this article, Fear the Walking Dead Season 6, when will the show return? Who are the new cast? What happened in the mid-season finale? Oh boy. After the COVID breakdown caused delayed filming during 2020, Fear the Walking Dead is back up and running in 21, and a release date for the final stretch of Season 6 is now confirmed. The nine remaining episodes will arrive this spring, as I said, April 11th, uh, finally giving us the conclusion, or at least we hope a conclusion, to the war between Ginny and Morgan. I guess those two are the big uh, players in that war. Ginny absolutely hates Morgan, and Morgan does not have a soft spot for Ginny in his heart. Whose side will Alicia and Strand take in the ongoing battle? Uh, can Grace get a happy ending for her baby? For Alicia, she's going to go with Morgan. Strand, I think when it's all said and done with, uh, Strand is going to end up siding with Morgan. We're all kind of questioning Strand's motives right now, but I think he's playing his cards very close to the vest. But and he can't reveal to anybody what he's actually going to do because that's just the way Strand operates. But I have no doubt in my mind that by the end of Season 6, we're going to get to see Strand play a major role in Virginia's downfall. Uh, 
And isn't that how it always happens? It happened to Negan in trusting Eugene. Eugene was Negan's ultimate downfall as the savior leader. And it's going to happen with Virginia. She's put her trust in Strand. She's still keeping a close eye on him, but she is trusting him more and more. And I believe that's going to be one of the big factors that's going to lead to her downfall. We will have to wait and see, but that's how I think it's going to go. Here are all the questions we are hoping to get answered in what's left of Season 6. First of all, well, here they're saying Monday, April 12th. So, oh, you know what? This is a, this is a UK uh, site. So, for the people out in the UK, across the pond, from us here in the United States, that's correct. It's it's going to air, uh, because that's when the Walking Dead shows air uh, over there in the UK and Ireland and a whole bunch of other places in Europe. And we get it on Sunday. They get it the next day on uh, Monday. So, for them, it is going to be April 12th on AMC. For us here in the United States... It's going to be Sunday, April 11th. How many episodes are left of season six? Nine. Normally, the back half of any Walking Dead season, it's eight episodes. And I've mentioned this before. The premiere that we're going to get on April 11th is actually the midseason finale. But because of COVID, they cannot finish episode eight in time to air it as the proper mid-season finale for season six. So it's taking the place of the mid-season premiere, which is kind of cool. We all know how they leave those finales with the majority of the time a little bit of a cliffhanger. So this time we're going to get to see the finale and the premiere a week apart. So there's not going to be a big waiting time to find out how it actually happens. In the last episode that we saw... John was splitting up. He could not live under Virginia's rule anymore. And he begged and pleaded for June to come with him. But the show ended with him going his separate ways and not following the rest of the convoy. So what is happening in season six? The official AMC synopsis for the the remaining episode reads... As Morgan's bid to free the remaining members of the group becomes bolder, Virginia grows increasingly desperate to find her sister and protect the settlements from forces working inside and outside of her walls. The second half of season six reveals the impact of what living under Virginia's control has done to each person in this group who once saw themselves as a family, new allegiances will be formed, relationships will be destroyed, and the loyalties forever changed. When everyone is forced to take sides, they discover the meaning of, quote, the end is the beginning. And there is a big mystery that we're also going to find out that they didn't mentioned in there is who the hell saved Morgan uh, and who's the leader of those spray paint people. Now, right now, all things point to Madison. It's just a theory. and I know I'm not the only one. There have been articles written about it. It's been talked about all over the internet. 
is Madison coming back? And if the if she is coming back, uh, I've even told this to Michael Satrazimus. If you guys are bringing her back, it would be one of the best kept secrets, and you guys have done an amazing job at not letting that info leak. Uh, even Andrew Grimes' departure from The Walking Dead got leaked, and AMC had to embrace it and uh, go with it, and they ended up making a big deal. Kind of worked out in their favor. Uh, there was a huge audience for to that tuned in to watch Rick's last episode on the TV show, and even bigger audience to see Michonne's last episode on the TV show. The show survivors, survivors who had been splintered into different groups by Virginia, came together in the mid-season finale. But it wasn't a happy reunion for Morgan, Alicia, and Strand. Rather than coming together, together, the trio found themselves at odds and with weapons drawn. In the end, Strand let his old friends depart and retreated back to Lawton, where he pledged allegiance to Ginny. In the show's closing moments, Ginny revealed her remaining trump card in her battle with Morgan, a locked-up and pregnant Grace. Because, as we all know, Morgan is in love with Grace, and Grace is in love with Morgan. Virginia knows this, and she is going to use Grace uh, as Morgan's soft spot to try and bring him down. So I'm really curious to see how that is going to play out. So here we go. Got some pictures of uh, uh, Coleman Domingo as Strand. So like I said, April 11th. For us here in the United States, April 12th for the people across the pond. Uh, Colette on Facebook writes, Virginia reminds me of Jesse off Toy Story, but evil. Uh, yeah, you know what? I can see that. Uh, I love the Toy Story movies. And uh, Jesse, you know, yeah, I can see that. Red hair and all. Uh, welcome to Youssef on Instagram. Welcome to Javier on Instagram. Thank you guys for joining in. So let's move on. Why horror movies need more female villains in 2021? And the reason why I want to talk about this is because this is something that I discussed in our interview with Barbara Crampton who has been making horror movies since the early 80s. And we brought up a very specific topic and a question that I asked her on what she thinks of the progression of women's roles in movies, particularly horror movies. And the point that I was trying to make is, back then, it would be the woman that would be displayed as the vulnerable one, uh, requiring assistance and help, now we're over the last you know while now over at least over the last decade is it has shifted and we are getting a lot more women that are villains and i absolutely love that um take barbara crampton who was our guest here she is uh, uh she's releasing a new movie with her starring in it called sacrifice and she's the perfect example uh, Barbara Crampton is on, like, the top ten list of horror scream queens. And in this new movie coming out, which is called Sacrifice, 
she is going to be sort of the bad guy. She's going to be the leader of this cult. And uh, even her, you know, has... And I love the fact that, you know, she has not gotten pigeonholed into always playing the victim. And she's transitioned now into playing the bad guy. And I'm very curious because the trailer for Sacrifice looks really amazing. And I'm just really anticipating to see uh, how she's going to do in that role of nefarious cult leader. Anyway, that movie should be coming out. I think I forgot the exact date she gave us, but it should be coming out either this week or next. Uh, it's going to be on all the video on demand streaming platforms and some limited theaters that are still open. So you guys are going to have to look, but it's going to be available whether it's to rent, buy on all the video on demand platforms. And I'm looking very much, uh, I'm looking very forward to watching that. Now, for decades, male villains have dominated horror movies, while female villains only make the occasional appearance and tend to fall into stereotypes. It is common that they reside in stereotypical constructs, such as the deviant seductress or the unhinged woman, as well as scorned or suffering victims. Oftentimes, they are utilized to create a stronger origin story for female antagonists, but they can lead to harmful misconceptions about women as a whole, especially when they have vengeful storylines. Here's how horror movies can create strong female villains who don't fall into stereotypes in this upcoming year. Perhaps the biggest issue with female villains Remaining stereotypical is how harmless these representations can be to women who share similar origin stories. For instance, Kathy Bates, Annie Walk, sorry, Annie Wilkes of Misery has a diagnosis of bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder. While she stands as a metaphor for Stephen King's drug addiction, her negative presence as a deviant, uncontrollable, and unhinged stereotype ascribes a negative connotation to anyone, not just women, who share her diagnosis. In the case of overly sexualized female villains, wow, overly sexualized female villains. Think about that for a second. <laughs> Anyway, uh, where was I? Uh, yeah, that, that statement kind of threw me off. Uh, their backstories typically result in a desire for revenge against men. They tend to be made out as victims who never fully utilize their revenge storyline to give them justice, which may negatively impact the perception of what women experience in a patriarchal society such as victims blaming and sexual assaults these stereotypes need to be removed changed or used as a means of critiquing themselves in order to have a rightful female villain in 2021 and forward if they are not they pose a threat to women's representation in horror movies in general 
while filmmakers have attempted to move away from these depictions of female characters, there are just as many who continue to perpetrate them. In 2021, it is long overdue for powerful, non-stereotypical depictions of female villains in horror movies. To accomplish such a feat, they must alter how they use stereotypes by changing or removing these stereotypes from said characters, or otherwise using the stereotypes in ways that subvert potential negative biases and expectations. And that's Megan Fox in Jennifer's Body. I guess she's a perfect example of that overly sexualized female victim, but as anybody who watched Jennifer Body's Jennifer's Body knows, she played a girl that was possessed by a demon. In order to pinpoint just how filmmakers can use stereotypes to their advantage in creating stronger villains, it is appropriate to examine Ginger Fitzgerald, Catherine Isabel of Ginger Snaps. She is a teenager who undergoes a dark transformation as a form of coming of age in the horror genre. I've never watched that, so there's not much I can chime in about that. Ginger is attacked by a werewolf during the exact moment of menstruation and begins to transform into one. <laughs> this kind of... This uh, connotes she's reached the pinnacle of sexual maturity, leading her to fall under the deviant seductress stereotype. However, Ginger embraces her sexuality and takes to the role of seductress. In doing so, she subverts the victim storyline that came from her werewolf attack by leaning into her stereotype. This method tends to work better than simply removing the stereotype altogether, which can often be relatively unachievable as Megan Fox's character in Jennifer Body has proven. And here's the picture, like I said, of Megan Fox. Uh, there are only a, a handful of female villains who can be defined as non-stereotypical, one of which is Rose Armitage, Allison Williams of Get Out. She is methodical and plays to her strength. There are no redeeming qualities to her, which make her the perfect villain in general. Furthermore, her origins are based in her upbringing, which makes her and her guardians equally vile. If she had fallen into an unhinged stereotype like Annie Wilkes, it is possible she would have become Lola Princess, Stone of the Loved Ones. She's equally as methodical, but relatively unhinged. The way that Jordan Pele's Rose Armitage was able to avoid stereotypes was being void of any personality traits besides racist and manipulative. It ensures that no one could ever pity her like Annie Wilkes, Lola Stone, or Ginger Fitzgerald. I don't know about you guys, but I never had any uh, empathy for the character of Annie Wilkes. She was just batshit crazy. So, talking about misery right there. What category 
I know that was very really deep what I just read, but do you think the character of Virginia on Fear the Walking Dead is stereotypical? Or do you think the writers on Fear the Walking Dead uh, accomplished by creating the character uh, who is a villain in Virginia in a non-stereotypical way? What do you guys think about Virginia? Uh, for me, I, I don't really see her as stereotypical. I don't really see her as unhinged, not a seductress. Uh but the only, I don't know, I'm trying to, the only uh, similarity that I see with Virginia is I see that she's kind of like the female version of Negan on The Walking Dead. That's it. Other than that, I don't see any stereotypes in the character of Virginia. Uh, Colette writes, I think they've done a good job. I agree. I agree. And Fear the Walking Dead... Uh, and the Walking Dead universe in general needs female villains. We have gotten a few along the way. Dawn, who killed Beth on The Walking Dead. Uh, but not that many, if you really think back. It's been predominantly male uh, antagonists. Gareth, uh, the leader of Terminus. Of course, Negan, uh, the governor. So, in World Beyond... Elizabeth uh, is an antagonist as until, you know, that could change. Also, uh, Huck, played by Annette, she is also, you know, she's Elizabeth's daughter. She is presently on the bad side, so she is kind of a villain. I really do think that's going to change in season two. Once she does find out what what her mother has done, uh, but so you know Virginia in the entire Walking Dead universe, you can actually say is the is the first bona fide bad guy that has a huge major role. The only other one that I can think of from the universe is Dawn, but Dawn I don't know she was just uh, kind of like an afterthought more than anything else. Uh, Summer is with us. Welcome, Summer. I hope you're doing better. Summer is with us on YouTube saying, Virginia is okay, but Alpha was the best female victim. Uh, so the, uh, sorry, female villain. Sorry, I did forget about Alpha. Uh, Alpha was great. Alpha was, I mean, wow. Uh, maybe that's my own bias, playing into my subconscious to where I totally glossed over Alpha because she was so good at being a villain and with that whole shaved head look, maybe in my mind, subconsciously, I thought of Alpha as being more of a male character than a female character. You see how we all fall into the sort of... Uh, subconscious biases that we form in our own minds i completely glossed over alpha so there's a perfect example and it just unfolded right here live on the air hard production writes alpha was the best samantha morton who played alpha did an absolute brilliant job i mean she was just fantastic 
she was evil. There was no redemption uh, in Alpha. I still see a little bit of possible redemption in Virginia, uh, even maybe in Elizabeth and World Beyond, definitely in Huck in World Beyond as well. So, perfect, perfect example of how the, these filmmakers play into our own biases as viewers, whether it's done consciously or subconsciously. So, let's see. Uh, as, let's see, I don't want to butcher this name. As Lepko on Instagram is with us saying, I like Daryl very much. Well, you're not alone in that one. Uh, Super on Instagram said, who said Hollywood is depicting depicting real-life storylines? Smiley face. Super also goes on to say on Instagram, women aren't portrayed as role models and no lead parts. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a, there's, Hollywood needs to make some changes. They're doing it, but they're not doing it fast enough. Uh, Singer Chick writes on YouTube, I'd be hard-pressed to decide between Negan and Alpha as to which is the better villain. Ooh, me too. That was, that's a hard one. CC Wheezy writes, did Negan kill Lucille after she turned? Yes. Yes. And uh, we're going to see that in the sixth bonus episode where we actually get to find out how exactly that unfolded and that's why that's the episode that i'm looking forward to the most next thing on the list just keeping it damn it's we're already 34 minutes into this uh i'm obviously i'm not going to get let's see which other articles we have here that's a duplicate uh the walking dead okay this is the one that i wanted to read it's about negan Negan needs one more kill to achieve full redemption. Now, I don't read these articles in full. Uh, I just read the headlines, and I want to read them with you guys live on the air. This headline perplexed me. Okay, Negan needs one more kill to achieve full redemption. AMC's The Walking Dead has been trying to redeem Negan and season 10 has an opportunity to do this properly if he kills the past. All right. In The Walking Dead, Negan's journey has been a remarkable one. It was difficult to believe he could make a U-turn in the eyes of fans, but come season 10, he's certainly shown he could help the Alliance in the absence of Rick Grimes doing what he can to protect the crew alongside the likes of Daryl and Michonne. Still, it's hard to forgive him because of his past crimes. However, from the trailer for the rest of the season 10 episodes, it's clear Negan can achieve redemption, but he has to complete one more kill. He needs to kill Lucille, his barbed wire bat. The trailer hints at the origin of it, which means fans could possibly witness the death of Negan's wife, also named Lucille. If this plays out, then fans will see how he translates that pain into his bat, and it will definitely explain how 
when we really found out when he was locked in that cell and he tried begging Michonne just to have that bat back. He really did transfer his pain that he felt for his wife, which he had to put down after she died in turn. At least that's how I think it's going to play out on the screen. I could be completely wrong. He may end up killing her before she actually uh, passes away and does not have the chance to reanimate. They could definitely go that route. The bat was seemingly discarded by the militia after Negan was defeated and the saviors brought into check. And it makes sense that they wouldn't want anyone in the Alliance to remember the pain he inflicted with it. However, Negan needs to find it and either destroy or discard it like in the comics if he is to complete his true rebirth. Now listen, on the show, the original Lucille Bat is gone. It's gone. It's not going to be found. And we know that because we have Lucille Part 2. It's another bat that's barbed wire. To him, it doesn't have the same sentimental meaning, in my opinion, because I really believe that the original Lucille is the bat that he used to kill his wife. Uh, so we're not going to see the original Lucille. Now, if they're talking metaphorically to that can be transferred over to Lucille part two, which is what I like to call it, uh, getting rid of it. I don't see that really accomplishing anything. Firstly, it showed that he's learned his uh, past. He's learned from his past crimes, like when he killed Abraham, Glenn and many others and now he's ready to move forward. This would create a symbolic goodbye to the dark side of himself, which some people still think he has. And he does. He still does have that side. For instance, Michonne and Daryl are skeptical, even though Carol and Judith think Negan has come to the light. And in regards to Carol, yeah, she heard all the stories of what he did, but she wasn't there that night when Negan killed Abraham and uh, Glenn. She heard the stories, obviously, but she did not witness it firsthand. That's why for her, I think it makes it easier for her to distance herself from that part of Negan, his past. This would be a great way to confirm he is done with the horrific chapter of his life. Secondly, once Negan kills this part of him, he can move beyond his past as well as the trauma he's projected onto the bat named after his wife. Ending it with his bat allows him to move on from the person Lucille, especially since her death has haunted him throughout the apocalypse. He needs closure, and while he should keep the good memories in mind and heart, by bringing an end to the bad, he can let go of the bad memories as well as the anguish associated with them. Simply put, this is the best way to exercise the demons of old and ensure he's clean, healthy, and mentally free 
to step up and protect Judith, Lydia, and others when trouble rears its head. It's already a tough task given they're short on numbers, but if he can do this, he can show people he really has changed. From signs seen so far, it will be the catalyst for him uh, being a much better man, and that's the, sorry, and that's their hero that the Alliance needs so desperately at this time. Now, what do you guys think? Do you think Lucille Part 2 has any, you know, resemblance or attachment to Negan as the original Lucille has? For me, absolutely not. He did not make that bat. We know that little prick of a kid who ended up getting what he deserved when he killed that woman and and her son. Uh, When Negan killed him, uh, he made that. He made that for him. Uh, He didn't go out and remake a Lucille Part 2. And I see you guys are agreeing. Singer check, Khaleesi. You guys are all saying, nope, nope, it's not the same. Colette, Philip, good. I mean, we agree. So, and there's no chance whatsoever that the original Lucille is going to end up again. She's gone. I, I I can't believe I just referred to a bat as a she. It's gone. The bad is not coming back. So, anyway, uh, it would be nice. I see where they're going with this article and the headline. If the, the original Lucille was still around, and let's say it was being kept for some reason in Alexandria, uh, what I think they should have done with it uh, is, you know, in regards to Rick and Michonne and Daryl after the Savior War, is just destroy it not hold a big ceremony and let's watch Lucille the bat burn type of destruction, but not just leave it there either, okay? It was a way for them, for them, who they are referred to in this article as the Alliance, uh, we call them our survivors, is to destroy the bat, you know, burn it, do whatever you want, don't make a big deal out of it, but make sure it's gone and it's gone forever. And... What I would have done is make Negan watch that bat being destroyed as part of his punishment after the Savior War. That's what I would have done. Um, As well as putting him in jail, I would have shown him that that part, you know, that thing that he gave life to in regards to the saviors and his way of running things is officially over. That's how I would have handled it. So let's see. What else do we have? What else do we have? Uh, Some new photos here. Here is, here's Hillary Burton. Okay. Uh, Here's another picture of Negan right here. Let me see what happens if I click on this. It's going to take me to the Twitter thread. I've never seen these these pictures. So here we have a picture on the left of Hillary Burton, who is J.D. Morgan's real-life wife, as well as she's going to be portraying Lucille. We got Maggie, Lauren Cohen, Jeffrey Dean Morgan right here as well. There we go. Oh, look at this. So this is obviously from the flashback, and 
for some reason, he's got an IV sticking out of his arm. So what do you guys think he's doing? Donating blood? He's not the one that had cancer or was sick. Why does he have an IV tube attached to him? If you guys have an, a theory or an idea, let me know. Stone Walkers joined us. He's like, oh my God, has anyone seen the new Mortal Kombat movie trailer? Nope, haven't seen it yet. Uh, so let's take a closer look at this picture of Maggie. Not much that that tells us. Here's the picture of uh, Hillary. This has to be offset or, you know, not during shooting. Uh, what else do we have here? Who the hell is this? Do you guys know who this guy is with the galoshes and the hoodie? I have no idea who that is. That is that Negan? What do you guys think? Those of you who see this picture right here, do you think that's Jeffrey Dean Morgan as Negan? Uh, Lisa writes, I think these pictures just came out today. Uh, Colette writes, as far as the IV tube, probably a plasma donation. All right, you guys are saying that is Negan. Nope, not Colette. It's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. It's not Thomas Paine. Uh, the majority, Amal on YouTube also says Negan. All right, it's Negan. It's just with the galoshes and the hoodie. It's hard to tell who the hell that is. All right, here's another picture of uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan in the flashback. Uh, Negan talking to Lucille. And you could tell just by the way he's dressed in the pictures that we have seen from this flashback episode. Just his clothing and his demeanor. Look at the look on his face. You can really tell that the Negan that we first met in the beginning and or the end of season six into season seven, that person came to life and it's not who Negan was before the apocalypse. His wife's death, I mean, it's an understatement, had a huge impact on who he became. And that's how I think that flashback episode called Here's Negan is going to end. And what we saw in the trailer of him putting on the leather jacket, the scarf, having the bat, him sitting on the chair saying, little pig, little pig. That is the birth of the Negan that we got to meet right after he had to kill his wife. So that was his way of dealing with her death. Basically, that side of Negan that we see in these pictures right here is dead. That old Negan is dead. He has transformed himself into a new Negan and... Uh, Hence, that's how the saviors are born. Uh, Lizzie Monk on Facebook writes, Oh my God, Negan looks so shit hot. Shit hot. Never heard of it that way before. Uh, Singer Chick writes, You think he always just grew tomatoes and was a good guy till she died? And that's when he flipped out? No, not growing the tomatoes part, but I do believe he was a good guy. I don't think he was a great husband, and I think that's part of the guilt that led to him becoming who he became. Uh, he feels guilty to the kind of husband he was. Pro this is pre-apocalypse. 
maybe even before uh, Lucille got cancer, okay? And maybe he was an alcoholic, uh, a cheater. Uh, Khaleesi writes he did cheat on his wife. I think that is a known fact in the comic books. Negan was a cheater. And, you know, when everything went to shit, that's just added to the guilt that he had to bear and that's how he dealt with it is becoming basically evil so in the time that we have left i do want to talk about today's topic we are going to be talking about the woods we briefly discussed it about camping woods and how it's the perfect background and setting for a good horror movie and we've all seen plenty of horror movies shot in the woods of course of course the blair witch project so many of them out there so i found this video that lists some of the top 10 uh this is from uh we got this covered i believe want to make sure i give you know due credit to whose video i'm about to play but let's go ahead and check this video out and uh you know i hate there we go here we go what culture? Whether it's the depths of the rainforest, the vast expanse of the desert, or the unsparing terrain of mountain ranges, there are few things more primarily and existentially Cabin scary in the than the wilderness. That's right. That's and horror good filmmakers one. have known this since time immemorial. Using the emptiness of nature as an excellent stand-in for whatever creepy metaphorical threat looms large over society. Also because it rightly just scares the crap out of viewers. The wilderness is home to all manner of mountain men and monsters, hammering home the fear that we have lost touch with nature and one day it'll want to claim us back these are the films far from the edges of civilization that realize oh, mother nature as a woman here i am the poisonous uh, ash from horror and these are the 10 best wilderness that was movies. a freaky movie going ten, back into the wilderness. 80s wow Disliked by critics upon release, but since rediscovered as a cult classic, Wilderness is an underrated British horror. A gritty indie which sees some juvenile delinquents face all sorts of horrors in the titular Wilderness, they arrive there after being sent to atone for driving a fellow juvie inmate to suicide via bullying. The group are gruesomely offed one by one in a tense and terrifying horror that makes full use of its unsettling setting, and benefits from a well-rounded turn by then-rising star Toby Kebbell as the film's troubled Good night, era. Summer. Thank Taking you for stopping in. from a whole bunch of excellent British horrors that tap into the dark side of the countryside, it's only fair for a movie with this title as its title to make this list, surely. 9. Animal Released in 2014 and starring a rogues gallery of former child stars, yes, that is 2003's Peter Pan you noticed amongst the lineup. Animal is a simple, straightforward, and terrifying creature feature which uses the beautiful North American wilderness as its evocative setting. This monster movie makes incredible use of its remote and stunning deep forest scenery in the film's early scenes, eschewing the claustrophobic, rotting woods of the Evil Dead and its imitators in favor of a lush, verdant landscape of gorgeous greenery. Gorgeous greenery wherein there are all manner of monsters though, remember. The fact that it's a creature feature doesn't detract from the foreboding emptiness of its setting and the tangible distance from civilization. Much in the same way The Descent strands its victims below ground, here our heroes are in the same situation in the open expanses, but nothing is there to hear their cries. Or worse, the only things that can hear said cries are all the monsters you, hunting Lizzie, them. The evil dead Eight, the hills are 
Wes Craven's 1977 horror set the blueprint for wilderness horrors to follow by combining the most disturbing the elements of its eyes, predecessors into one. one nightmarish, politically charged slice of bleak 70s horror. So Deliverance had monstrous men far from civilization assaulting and attacking our heroes. This one has an entire family of them scavenging through a nuclear wasteland and eating unfortunate tourists for sustenance. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre already had an entire family of cannibalistic backwoods monsters. This film pits them against a clean-cut all-American family with a baby and a dog in tow instead of some burnout college kids. The stakes are raised immeasurably when it's a nuclear family under attack in this gruesome siege horror. And the we're-not-so-different parallels are far more obvious and evocative than in Craven's earlier shocker, The Last House on the Left. After all, this is the story of a small American family just trying to survive by any means possible. From either perspective. 7. Motel Hell 1980s underrated horror comedy Motel Hell reimagines the wilderness horror as a goofy, campy spectacle which offers a harsh and hilariously unsparing satire of America's middle class. The film remains wildly underrated as a charming, macabre horror comedy remix, and it is a must-watch for fans of the subgenre. Here, the villains are the cheery proprietors of the titular establishment. Cece, have you seen Motel Hell? ...into awarded artisan sausages. But where the likes of Leatherface and co were driven to cannibalism by extreme poverty and have seen their once-dignified lives torn apart by industry rendering their work irrelevant, here the villains are perfectly well-off and have set up this cannibalistic business for the sake of money-making enterprise. Brimming with sharp, dark wit, this one is a great satire of amoral entrepreneurs as well as a stellar wilderness horror. 6. Wrong Turn Post 2000, the turn of the millennium meant that the reliable uh, I love the wrong 30 year nostalgia movies. cycle was either, ready for the those kind of movies you're either going to love or classics. hate. Ironic wit and meta horror was out, savage and unsparingly cynical survival films were in. Enter Wrong Turn, a franchise so successful it managed to produce five sequels in short order, reigniting public interest in the wilderness horror subgenre with its simple teens versus cannibals plot. Less yep, visceral right, and more crowd pleasing, this one features some superb kills, a tense and scary plot, and fantastic acting from a whole group of great actors, all of whom give over the top material real human weight and garner some real scares from a potentially cheesy premise. 5. Long Weekend while something like Wolf Creek could easily get a mention here instead, I want to throw up an older classic that takes on all the horrors of the Australian wilderness We're getting and puts short them front on and centre for so viewers I, to run. I really want to see what, what this list goes through, so let me just try to... Notice a lot of these movies are like from the 80s and 70s. Way, as this movie shows. 4. Deliverance Far from the campy kills of Wrong Turn, before we get into deliverance, guys, uh, you know, staying on this topic of terror in the woods, there is one state in the United States that if the majority, I don't want to say the majority, but a lot of horror movies that center around the horror in the woods, and that's West Virginia, okay? West Virginia, uh, even the Blair Witch Project, which is... Uh, technically in Maryland. It's that little triangle area where Pennsylvania, Maryland, West Virginia sort of collide and intermix with each other. So that place in Maryland is very close to West Virginia. But anyway, West Virginia is it's 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 those places, it's the state directly west from me. 
I don't like going to West Virginia because of all the horror movies that I have seen based or supposedly based in West Virginia. It, it freaks me out. It freaks me out. And my biggest fear is going into West Virginia and somehow ending up getting lost in the woods. John Borman's Deliverance is a film so unsparingly realistic and unsettling that it is often not even considered a horror. Call it what you like, though Deliverance it's hard to imagine finding at least one Again, sequence anything other West than terrifying. Virginia. This survival film is one of the most upsetting and intense endurance tests in the subgenre's history. Deliverance remains realistic and horrific decades later in its simple story of four businessmen who raft up river, only to run afoul of monstrous hillbillies and become embroiled in a battle for survival. And it is Unbearably an absolute tense, classic. the film's simple plot benefits from incredible stunt work undertaken by the cast themselves, as well as all-time great chemistry between the stoic Burt Reynolds, the nebbish John Voight, and a career best Ned Beatty as their traumatized friend. This one, like Walter Hill's later Southern Comfort, is Man, strong look at stuff that Reynolds. won't sit well with all viewers. But those willing to brave its steps will be rewarded with a sharp and brutal commentary on human nature and the state of civilization. 3. The Hills Run Red the Hills Run Red is easily the most underrated right, film we got on like this list. Less than a let's see, come on, let's see. The Ritual, it was next. Uh, oh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's our list. What other outdoorsy types belong on this list? Share your thoughts in the comment section below. Yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre was number one. Now, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah, you could say it in the woods. For me, it's just not really the woods, but a very rural area in Texas that uh, this deranged family live in. And another classic right there. Uh, I'm pretty sure all of you or the majority of you have watched the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's a movie that's been rebooted, remade, sequels, and so on, and it's still alive today. And we have not seen the last Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. So anyway, guys, we are out of time. Uh, this hour just flew by. It was great to be back here tonight talking with you guys. Uh, we'll be back again tomorrow. Uh, if you haven't, if this is your first time watching us and want more information about our show, please visit DebtTalkLive.com. Uh, we stream every night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern to YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. It's amazing as always. Stay safe. And until tomorrow night, guys, remember to always, always stay walking. Good night.